You can grab a seat uh, and check this out. Okay, Buzz, you ready? Dandelion's so funny, huh? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a dandelion, sometimes or daffodils or whatever it is, guys. Sometimes uh, it's it's something old that's drawing to a close. Sometimes sometimes it's something new that's beginning. But whatever it is, a lot of times we will find ourselves on the verge, on on the precipice of something amazing, of something exciting, uh, and we honestly just don't know what to do with it. Right, we find ourselves in that moment where we're just blown away with the fact that flowers uh, can be blown away, I guess. And that just like, we're just paralyzed. We're just laughing uncontrollably like a crazy person uh, on the back of our dad who has blue hair, which, dang, that's cool. You know? But we, we find ourselves on the edge of something so amazing. And it, honestly, we don't know how to react. We find ourselves in moments where we're like, man, I don't even know what to do with this thing. Maybe it's something old that's drawing to a close that you're like, oh, man, I can't wait. Right? We're at the end of a semester right now. We are at the end. Is anyone like leaving, leaving in May, like forever? You are three. Good. You four. You did it. Congratulations. The rest of us are stuck, but think of us. Keep us in your prayers. But we, we're at the end of something, that, and that's exciting, right? Whether it's the end of our college career, maybe it's the end of just, you know, this first year that you ever had in college. We're at the end of something that we're ready for it to draw to a close. We're ready to enter into that summertime or that next fall or whatever it may be. And it's exciting. And some of us, man, we're so excited, we don't even really know what to do with that, right? Some of us still don't even have summer plans because like, I just could do anything, right? And we're just, we're paralyzed because there's too many options. Some of us, we get excited when we're at the beginning of something new, right? We start a new relationship with that guy or that girl. I look across the table and I found out, oh my gosh, she likes me too. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> bye. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do in that moment because we're just, we get so excited. Like we have that moment where I don't even know how to react to this thing that's so incredible and so amazing. And the author of Hebrews is expecting us, honestly, we are expected, not just by the author of Hebrews, but you look across time and space, you look at the, the men and women who've walked before us in the faith, and they would all kind of have the expectation that we have that exact same attitude towards the fact that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for us. The fact that we have seen all semester through the book of Hebrews, we have seen week in and week out that Jesus Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. As we've been walking through this book, we've seen who Jesus is. We've seen what he's done on our behalf. And every single thing that we discover about him, whether he's our high priest or whether he's uh, the anchor for our souls, whether he's better than the identities that we find for ourselves, he's better than the idols that we create for ourselves, he's better than the failures we find ourselves filled with. Every single step of the way, we've seen how much better Jesus Christ is than anything in this existence. And man, that should... 
That should make us stop and freeze. And that should make us almost question, how do I react to this good news, this incredible news? The fact that God, the creator of the universe, the Lord most high, loves me and wants a relationship with me and made that relationship work by dying for me. That's amazing. That's incredible. So how do we react to that? The author of Hebrews is at the end of this book. He's in the final chapter. Chapter 13 is where we're going to be tonight. And he knows that his audience, they're getting to that point of like, oh my gosh, so what am I, what do I do with this knowledge? What do I do with this information? And so he wraps it all up in chapter 13 with a number of instructions. And he gives what we're going to be in the very middle of 13. He gives kind of this final call, this final charge to his audience of saying, look, if you really accept this, if you have placed your trust, your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you trust in who he is and what he's done, then you have a calling to sacrifice. In light of the incredible, perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on your behalf, we are called as believers to then offer a spiritual sacrifice, is the wording he'll use. In light of his sacrifice, we offer a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord that consists of our praise, that consists of our work, and it consists of us suffering. And this isn't something that we do to gain a relationship with God or to prove our relationship with God. This is merely something done out of gratitude. This is something done out of love for the God who already saved us, who already adopted me into his family. You are the son or the daughter of God if you place your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. And once you have that status, he calls for a sacrifice. That's why in chapter 13, verse 9, the author starts off telling his audience to not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Right here, the author is taking a dig at basically any other major world religion that we have that's ever existed. Uh, He's specifically calling out Judaism, but honestly, it pertains to any major world religion. Out of all of humanity, this is stats from last year, but I doubt they've changed too much. 2014, 80% of humanity belongs to one of four major religions. 80% of humanity, four out of five people are either a Christian, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a Hindu. 80% of humanity belongs to one of those major religions. And all of those religions, man, there are a few, there are some common themes. There's some common threads that you kind of see thematically tracing through these religions, which is what leads some people to say, oh, they're all the same. They all accomplish the same thing, whatever. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But we do see certainly some commonalities. One, one the, really the major thread that goes between all of those religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, Christianity, is they all recognize that there is a broken relationship between humanity and God or gods, deity. 
Deity and humanity have a broken, fractured relationship. Every single one of those religions states that, professes that. And three out of four of those religions then tell their followers, well, it is now on you to fix that relationship. You need to say certain things or do certain things. You need to perform certain rituals. You need to perform certain sacrifices. And it's only by your action and your decisions and your kind of get, in, get up and going, that's the only thing that's going to fix this relationship between you and deity. It's the only thing you can do. The author says, it's not good <laughs> to seek nourishment through food. He's saying, he's saying literally, it's not good to be strengthened by sacrifice. Animal sacrifice is what he's talking about. He says those things don't even benefit you. To be dedicated to the law. The Jews were dedicated to sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of their sins. He says that's not benefiting you. Those works, they don't benefit you. Instead, what can you be strengthened by? What should bring you nourishment? Grace. Meaning undeserved love. Undeserved favor. He says that's what will strengthen you. And that's what Christianity professes by itself in all of existence. We are the only people who find ourselves following a God who has shown grace. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The author is referring specifically to this thing called the Day of Atonement, right? Because he's talking to a group of probably, most likely, Jewish believers. I mean, they've been raised in the Jewish, in Judaism. And so they've learned the, the Mosaic law and the Levitical practices. And they know, okay, these are the things I have to do to make myself okay with God. And what we find in the book of Hebrews is the author explains, Paul himself explains in Galatians as well. He says, look, those people, those Israelites, they were never saved by some mystical uh, event when they sacrificed an animal. It was never the act of sacrificing an animal. It was never the blood that was spilled that actually saved those people. What we find is it was the faith behind that action that saved those people. We see that in Hebrews, see it in Galatians. God didn't just give them these tasks to perform because he was crazy or because he used to save people in a different way. No, it's always been by faith. That's why we saw in chapter 11, all these men and all these women who walked by faith. That's what brought salvation. It was faith in who God is and what he's done in his future promises. Faith is what saved, but they would perform these actions as a demonstration of that faith. And so the Israelites, they would have this day of atonement where they would basically seek as an entire nation, okay, we need to be forgiven of our sins. So they would take a perfect sacrifice, they'd take an animal, and they would kill it. They would drain it of its blood. They would take the blood, like he says, into the Holy of Holies, meaning where they had God's throne. It was either at the center of their tabernacle, which was their portable temple, or eventually it was at the center of their permanent temple. And so they would take the blood and they would put it on the altar and God would look down at the nation of Israel and instead of seeing their sin, he would see the blood, the, the sacrifice. And so he would say, all right, you're, you're cool for another year. This would happen annually. But when they drained the blood out of this animal, suddenly they're left with this carcass. I'm like, well, 
What am I going to do with this? And so they would take it outside of the city and take it outside of the camp uh, all the way out. And they would set up a new altar and they say, okay, uh, this thing is so unholy. It's so, you know, it's wretched. It's used up. And so we're just going to burn it. And they would burn it completely. There would be nothing left, no bone, nothing. They would burn this animal's body uh, as a sacrifice to the Lord to say, look, this, we're, we're abolishing all of our sin. That's what it was supposed to signify. And so the author of Hebrews is making a connection saying, you know what? You used to follow this day of atonement. You used to have to perform those practices and you have to have your faith that God would save you and look at you through these things. He says, but Jesus suffered outside the gate. He did that. Chapter before this, he says, Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice once for all. His sacrifice nullified the need for any other sacrifices. Same place where he says, and you know what? No one's ever been saved by animals. So that was never the thing. It was the faith behind it. So Jesus Christ has performed the ultimate sacrifice. He suffered in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In other words, he suffered so that we don't have to. He suffered so that we could be made holy, so that we could be made righteous, so that we could be put in right standing with God. This is incredible. This is grace. Jesus Christ lived died, rose again, (laughs) all for our sake, all that he might sanctify us. He spilled the blood that we were supposed to spill. He died the death that we deserved to make the sacrifice that honestly we couldn't make. And he offers forgiveness as a free gift to any who believe. That's amazing. This is what Christianity professes. This is what we as believers hold fast Two, and what do we do with it? In light of this incredible sacrifice, man, what do we do? What we'll see in the next few verses is the author lay out what's our next step? What are we going to do? What carries us forward? Which I love because it's the end of the letter and it's the end of our semester, right? We're meeting next week, but it's going to be a little bit different. This is the end of our time in Hebrews. What's going to carry us forward? forward. The author lays out three things. He says we need to be prepared to suffer. We need to be prepared to praise. We need to be prepared to share what God has done. He starts off verse 13 saying, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Basically, the author says, look, in following Christ, you will find yourself, we will find ourselves at some point outside the city. Outside of the gates. Why? Because we don't belong here. This isn't our city. This isn't our world. Paul says that we are, our citizenship belongs in heaven. We're just passing through. We're just, we're just visitors. We're in the world, but we're not of it. This isn't our home. Our hope is not in anything found in this world. Our hope is found in that city that is to come. If you're a Christian, you hold to the fact that, man, Jesus Christ, not only did he live, die, rise again, he's coming back. And he is bringing the end of all that we know. (laughs) He's bringing about the end of all this world has to offer. And there will be a new earth. There'll be a new heaven. There will be a new city. We have a life beyond death. 
And if we really hold to that, if we really believe that, if we really share that with the people around us, the author's saying, look, we're going to be getting persecuted the same way that he was. The same way that he was rejected and thrown out of the city is exactly where we're going to find ourselves. Because the reality is, man, you have something new, you have something different and exciting. Sometimes that leads to pain that you wouldn't necessarily expect. (laughs) At some point, (laughs) like a small Russian girl on an ice patch, we will find ourselves head down in pain, rejected by the world we thought was our friend, right? We're going to find ourselves in that moment. We will all find ourselves facing rejection at some point. Some of us have already been there. Some of, our in the mid- some of us are in the midst of it, and some of us, it's right around the corner. You will face rejection in your home, in your friends, and your work. It's there. It's coming. Even if you've already walked through it, you'll probably walk through it again. Because we live in a world where we don't belong. We live in a world that is increasing, increasing its pressure on Christians to back off. We live in a world that looks at Christianity and says, you're outdated. There are things that you claim. There are things in your scripture that just don't make sense to us. So how dare you hold to those beliefs? How dare you claim that you know the way, the truth, the life? How dare you? (laughs) We have a world that is increasing pressure on the things that we hold to be true. Whether it's about work or relationships or marriage or God or salvation. We live in a world that's very much against our beliefs. That rejection is only going to become more prevalent. It's only going to become more intense. And yet the author is telling us we are called to stand firm in the midst of that persecution. And we're called to stand not only in truth, but also in grace. That's key. Just as Jesus Christ himself was rejected, just as Jesus Christ faced so much persecution, he would speak truth into people's lives, but he would do it in such a loving way that even though people rejected him, no one ever felt rejected by him. That's our calling. To be filled with truth, but to be filled with grace. Because rejection is coming. We're called to sacrifice in that rejection. We're called to sacrifice with praise. Through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. In following Christ, we will find ourselves with opportunities to praise God in all circumstances, in joy and in sorrow. The Greek term used right here, the verb used is this idea of of constant, uh, just sort of a state of being that's maintained indefinitely. We are supposed to be praising the Lord, offering up the sacrifice of praise in all times, good times and bad. No matter what, we sing the praises, we, we claim the praises of our God. We know that he's good. We still trust him. We speak highly of him. We glorify him with our lives. We worship him with our mouths, with our feet. Every single week all semester, I have shown a picture of my daughter, Charlotte. Every single week. 
I've been very, I've been very intentional to do it, showing a picture of her every single week. I won't do it next semester, don't worry. But this semester, I did it from week one uh, all the way uh, to week now for two reasons. First of all, uh, as I've stated before, I have to compete with the Instagram mommies somehow. Like there's some, I have to get out there in some way and feel like I'm doing, I, I think if you don't put pictures of your child out for the world to see, like you don't love your kid truly anymore. I don't know. I think that's the way it works. Uh, she, she'll have a Vine account soon, I guess. Uh, that's probably already old. Uh, she'll get a time hop. That's a thing. Uh, but we will, uh, I do this for, you know, so get her out there. Second of all, you know, the reality is I, I love this girl. I love her. And I love the relationship that I share with her. And I find incredible joy in that relationship. I find joy in that relationship uh, when I'm experiencing uh, her laugh for the first time, her smile for the first time, watching her trying to eat a piece of a frozen banana for the first time. That is a wonderful, joyous, really gross moment. I find joy in that. And I also do my best to find joy in those never-ending nights of uh, scream tears. Like that's something that I try to do. Whether it's this beautiful moment or whether it's she knocked her passy on the floor and she just pooped on the changing table, I still want to find joy in that relationship. I still want to find uh, a meaning. I see, wow, like, yeah, it's great. Here I get to experience these things that she can do. Here I get to learn the value of patience, right? I get to learn the value of grace. I get to have a new appreciation for our God who continues to love us no matter how many times we knock our passy on the floor, no matter how many times we poop all over our changing table. Our God still loves us. He's still a good father. And he cares for us and he, he forgives us over and over and over again. I've never, I've, it, is, it clicks so much better. Now, we find ourselves in moments of joy. We find ourselves in moments of pain and sorrow. And yet in both moments, we're called to praise the God who's in control of both situations. To offer up praise, to offer up worship, to show to the people around us that our God is worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all praise. And honestly, when we do this in the midst of that tragedy, oh my gosh, people notice so much more in this moment than in that one. Earlier this semester, some of you might have been here, it was at 7 p.m., and one of our fellows, a guy named Kyle Cox, uh, talked on the life of Ezekiel. And one of the most just great enlightening things he shared about the life of Ezekiel, walked through the whole life of this guy named Ezekiel, who was a prophet for the Lord to Israel and Judah, says, is that when you look at the life of Ezekiel, you see that he was God's messenger, right? He was a prophet. He lived a life that was faithful to the Lord, faithful to the Lord, called him to preach and say and, and proclaim. And yet Ezekiel found himself towards the end of his life suddenly suffering incredible tragedy, experiencing just overwhelming grief, the loss of loved ones, the loss of health, just hits him like a storm, which is crazy because we would look at the life of this faithful guy who's been a prophet, he's been doing all these crazy things for the Lord. We would think, oh, he's worthy of honor and praise and blessing. And yet he had these terrible things happen to him. God allowed terrible things to happen to him. And in the midst of that moment, 
Ezekiel was still faithful. Ezekiel still proclaimed the words of the Lord. He still spoke the truth that the God gave him to speak. And what was so incredible in the life of Ezekiel was that it was that moment. It was that time where he found himself just in the midst of so much tragedy, yet still praising. When he was in the midst of so much pain, and yet he still praised God. Suddenly the people around him listened. Some of them for the first time. They listened. They recognized if you still follow this God, if you still serve this God, even in the midst of your own suffering, there's got to be something to it. God used the tragedy in his life to grab others' attention. God will use tragedy in our lives to grab other people's attention. If we continue to praise him in those moments. The reality is, man, we're, we're going to find ourselves in those joyous moments. We're going to find ourselves in those tragic, sorrowful moments. We are called to offer a sacrifice of praise in all of the circumstances. The author says, it's not just the suffering. It's not just the praise. What we also see is a call to do good. We need to not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In other words, in following Christ, we're going to find ourselves surrounded by people in need. People that we're called to love just as we love ourselves. People who need things who, who, that we need to care for as if they were Jesus Christ himself. That's our calling as believers, to love these people, to care for them. Because when we meet those needs, even if to us it seems inconsequential, it's just a couple bucks or it's just a, an hour of our time or it's just this or that, it's just one phone call, it's just one text— even if in our minds it's, it doesn't mean that much or it's not that big of a deal and uh, maybe I'll just let someone else do it. The Lord moves through those incredible, just small things. God can use just those little sacrifices, just those little efforts, those little acts of kindness and of grace to open the door for the gospel. Things to us that seem almost insignificant can have incredible repercussions in other people's lives. They're a dollar each or eleven dollars from the dozen. Like it would, it would. Okay, if you want fifteen roses, it would be fourteen dollars. One forty. One forty. One hundred forty dollars for it. You sick? Yeah, but I, you gotta give me fifty. You gotta give it up. Now, this is just a random moment uh, of kindness uh, that happened um, that I, my wife's first reaction when she saw it, she's like, 
why did someone film that? Like, why was the camera already rolling? Like, did you think they were going to fight? Or like, what was going on in that moment? I don't know. I don't know why it was already being recorded uh, vertically. Ugh. But, you know, like, I don't know why that was getting on someone's phone, but it was. And someone uploaded it. But what's incredible about this moment uh, is, you know, I don't know if the guy's a believer or anything like that. Uh, but this guy just has this moment of kindness. He, he offers to buy all of her roses, insisting, hey, look, just take all of these roses that you had that you're planning on selling. I'm going to buy them right now just so that you can give them away to the other people that you run across today. And just that one thing, just that one moment, so small in the grand scheme of life, has such a profound impact on her. And honestly, it impacts people around her, where people are like, what the heck? Just, I mean, just look at that guy right there. He's like, still like, what was that? Like, what just happened? What's going on? Because it's something that's, it's, it's out of place. It's strange. It's foreign. In our world, to have a moment like that of kindness, of grace, of just strangers being, being wonderful and loving towards one another, it doesn't make sense. We stand there and we're like, whoa. We put it on YouTube. It gets millions of views. And it's something that I, you know, I see and I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Thankfully, YouTube comments always know exactly what to say. And the top comment pointed out, this. That guy disappeared like he was Jesus or something. Lol, man. Ah, <laughs> beautifully stated. But this is honestly pretty incredible that this guy, Mr. Mark Bartarnia, he, in this moment, saw this act of grace, saw this act of love, this kindness, and he immediately made a connection to the historical figure of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if he's a believer. I don't know if he believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Anyone, everyone has to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was on earth. Right? They used to dispute that until the early 1900s. Uh, and then eventually the evidence just became so overwhelming. They're like, fine, he existed. But he was just a dude. Right? That was their fault. But like, he's just a guy. So I don't know where Mark lands. But he recognized, he makes this connection that 607 other people made in their own minds of, oh yeah, something kind and loving and gracious. Oh, that's like something that Jesus Christ would have done. That's great that we live in a culture that already has that level of familiarity. But imagine, imagine if we lived in a culture where that top comment was, man, that was just, that guy must be a Christian. That must be one of those people that follows Jesus. Imagine if Christians were known for that type of behavior. That was typical of a believer a follower of Jesus Christ. Christian, I mean, literally, little Christ. Imagine if that was typical of us. It's not. But what if it was? How many more ears would hear the gospel if their eyes saw us living like this? How many more people would be receptive to hearing what Jesus Christ has done for them. If we as a group, as the body of Christ, were moving into our world with eyes open, looking for needs that we could address, just like Jesus, we're going to encounter people who need preaching, that need to just hear truth from Scripture. But we're also going to encounter people that need feeding. We're going to meet people who need healing. 
Uh, there's going to be people who need to just be listened to. There's going to be people who need uh, us to just cry along with them. Jesus Christ, when he moved out into the world, he saw people. And honestly, most of the times that he preached at them, most of the times that he just told them things, what we see in scripture time and time again in our gospels, it tells us that he was moved by compassion. He was moved out of compassion for these people. And so he spoke to them. And so he preached. What if our words were motivated by compassion? What if we, like Jesus, would see people that were hungry and feed them? Jesus saw those people who needed healing. He saw those people that just needed to be listened to. He saw people weeping, and so he wept. Jesus Christ saw need, overwhelming need, in his time on earth. He was aware of it, and he addressed it. He stepped in, and he met those needs. That's our call. That's our calling. That's where we should be. That's how we should be living. In light of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, we are called to suffer for him. We're called to praise him at all times. We're called to share this gospel. We're called to share this good news with others through our words and also through our actions. We're going to take a moment and pray to ourselves. We're going to sing a couple more songs. Uh, we're keeping it a little bit uh, tighter and, and shorter tonight because we got a few things on the back end that I'll explain here in a few minutes. But we're not going to pray with one another. Instead, we're just going to be taking some time and, and seeking the Lord in prayer. And I would encourage you that during this last few moments, during this time that you have, uh, just between yourself and the Lord, to, to really ask Him, Man, what does he have planned for you this summer? Whether it's you're going off to a job or an internship or whether you're going back home or whether you're going to that camp or whether you're staying here, ask the Lord to bring to your mind, man, where are you called to sacrifice this summer? And, you know, you, you might not hear the, an audible, you know, like, you will watch so much Full House. You know, I don't know. Like, you probably won't hear those things. But in that moment, if you're honest, if you're, if you're quiet, if you're really listening to the Lord, maybe a, a person, a name will come into your mind. Someone that you're going to interact with all summer that you know has a need that needs to be met. Or someone that needs to hear the gospel. Someone who could benefit from hearing you praising God. Maybe there's going to be a situation brought to your mind or a, a family member or a friend. Or, or maybe there's going to be an event that you're thinking of this past week, that, man, it's going to wreck you. And honestly, you could put your entire summer into just a funk. But by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can still praise the Lord, even in the midst of that tragedy. So here, in this time, take a moment. Ask the Lord to show you, man, where are you called to offer up a spiritual sacrifice? Let's pray. God, we we thank you that we do have the opportunity to hear from you, God, to listen to you, God, to, to read your words in our, our Bibles. God, we, we can see, we can hear uh, your words through just our fellowship with one another. God, we thank you that there are so many ways that we can be meeting with you in worship or in prayer. 
and study. God, we thank you just for all those opportunities to be poured into, God, to listen and hear and, and grow. But God, we thank you ultimately that you don't just call us to a life of scholarship. You don't call us to a life of isolation. But God, you call us to a life that is spent sacrificing for you. Lord, it's not to gain favor. God, it's not to secure our salvation. But Lord, you have given us the opportunity to respond to your love with our own love. God, you've given us direction on how to react to this incredible gift of grace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. If you would take this moment right now, ask the Lord to draw into your mind, where can you sacrifice this summer? How are you going to be praising the Lord In all circumstances, where can you be doing his work to demonstrate the gospel, to demonstrate the love that you've received from God? Where are you called to stand firm in both truth and grace, even in the midst of persecution? Ask the Lord to show you right now.